return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. If you got your Bible, lift it up a minute. Maybe it's your phone. Lift up your phone then, whatever. (laughs) Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Tonight I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about courage. You know, we've got some long, long timers uh, here. You know, how many been in the ministry over 20 years? Raise your hand. Look at that. Or 25. Keep your hands up. That's great. You know, it's powerful. Uh, God bless you for being faithful. Uh, I think one of the biggest weapons of the enemy against God's people and especially God's ministers is discouragement. I have faced discouragement more times than I can count, all right? And, and uh, the church has just come through to some extent, I'm talking about the churches worldwide, a tumultuous time. You know, we've never lived in a time, like for us anyway, like where we've had a worldwide pandemic or they've closed church buildings. You know, we're fortunate in our state where we've been quite free. But in a lot of places, things have been very, very closed down, and and people have been unable to meet at all. People have been scattered in some cases. Major ministries have been embarrassed by prophetic words that were just not true. Incidentally, I just want to say, don't be so gullible. Just believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you watch. Certainly use discernment. Turn to your neighbor and say, use discernment. Some people are passing around things. They don't even know who this Joe Blow is, and they're passing around like it's gospel. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stick with the Bible. Remember, you're called of God to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. The message is always Jesus. Amen? So, you know, it's been been difficult, you know. God lies to, to ministers all the time. Have you ever heard something say, you're not anointed? Have you ever preached a message and just felt flatter than a pancake? Yeah, the devil, yeah. No, the devil lies. <laughs> you know, uh, you ever hear a thing, you're not doing a good job? You ever hear before things like this, you know, well, if God's really with you, you'd have a bigger ministry. You ever hear that lie, you know? See, he's the accuser of the brethren. Everything the enemy is trying to do is drag people down. So discouragement can come through unanswered prayers. Who hasn't had that before? You know, you pray, but it doesn't happen. Lack of numbers or lack of people, you know. Who doesn't want to preach to something more than just chairs? You want to preach to faces and stuff. Could be lack of finances. Been there. (laughs) Could be criticism. Been there. Could be poor health. Been there. (laughs) 
you know. Discouragement comes through all kinds of things. And the result of that then, the result of discouragement, can be the temptation to quit. You ever been tempted to quit? I have. Loss of forward movement, been there. Loss of hope, been there. <laughs> Feeling like, wow, we're just spinning our wheels. What, what are we doing here? Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, you know that. That's a scripture that's quite common. But in the Message Bible, it says, Unrelenting disappointment. Unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. So it just goes on and on and on, you know, where, 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 but I like this. There can be a sudden good break that can turn life around. We serve a God of suddenlies. And so just because even like that song again, you know, even then, even though I don't see it, he's working. Even though I don't feel it, he's working. Those are faith statements. And those are things we have to tell ourselves all the time. Now, to be discouraged or to not have courage or something, you know, sometimes we think, boy, I'm a weak Christian. But I want to tell you, every man and woman of God in the Bible faced discouragement. The hall of fame of faith is full of people that at one point in time were very discouraged. Okay? So I want to just go through a couple of those tonight. First one is Joshua. Joshua 1-2. Here Joshua is... He's followed Moses. Moses has led him for the 40 years, led him out of Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness. And now Moses is, is going to be with the Lord. And then he dies. And so God's telling Joshua, hey, Moses is dead. Now I want you to get up and go over Jordan with all this people, and I want you to go and possess the land. Well, first of all, you know, he's pretty good friends with Moses. They were close. They were tight. All right. And God's now asking Joshua to do something that Moses couldn't do. So now he's saying, I want you to do this. And he's thinking, but Moses himself couldn't, couldn't get this job done. And so it can look like a real daunting task. Isn't that right? But God's always in the place of going forward. The full armor of God is always in front of you. Okay, it's in front of you. Why is that? that? Because you're going forward. You have a breastplate of righteousness. You have a shield of faith. I'm not carrying the shield like this, covering my hind end. You're going forward. Amen? God is a forward God. Yesterday's already gone, so we're going forward. Your eyes are in front of you because you walk forward. You know, we're not going down the street this way. Right? Forward. Say forward. So God's saying to, to Joshua, Joshua 1 verse 5, He's saying, as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. So I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to fail you, and this is important. So I'm going to be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not fail you. I'm going to be on your side. Now, in verse 7, though, it says you have a part to play. And we all have a part to play, don't we? So we want God to do a lot. However, he's not going to do what we're not willing to cooperate on. So he says, only be strong and very courageous. So this is our part. This is our part to take his word, even though we don't feel like it, even though we don't see it, take his word and say, all right, only be strong and courageous, okay? The Bible says be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So we're strong and we draw our strength by observing the word of God, doing the word of God and so forth, amen? Don't turn to the right hand or the left. Let the word be in your, your mouth and in your heart and meditate on it, observe to do it and so forth. So if we take those things and we start doing those things, then this is our part to play. Amen? 
I've had, I've had times where I felt, of course, nothing and, and uh, very discouraged. However, nothing happened until I started doing something. Until I started doing something. And when I started doing something, then God started to move. There's an interesting thing here, and you should write, underline this in your Bible. In verse 8, it says, you will make your way prosperous. So who's going to make your way prosperous? Turn to your neighbor and say, you are. You will make your way prosperous, and then, then you will have good success. So in this path of life and so forth, we have the part to be strong and courageous, and then we make our way prosperous. In other words, you just keep moving. Well, we had a big setback. Well, get up and keep moving. Well, I've been discouraged. Get up and keep moving. Just keep getting up. The worst thing you can do is stand still, lay down, or bemoan your situation. God actually said in verse 9 to Joshua, I've commanded you this. This is a command. This is a command. I want you to be strong. I want you to have good courage. Uh, So Joshua had a part in the courage. Amen? He had a part that he had to take this and do what God asked him to do. Have you ever shared with somebody or maybe had a prophetic word and think, well, I really only have a word, but if you start, God will give you the rest. Amen? If you just start... You step out in faith, he'll give you the rest. But if you don't step out at all, nothing will happen. So we have to start, you know, initiation, inertia, right? So God says, I've just, I've commanded you this. This is a command. This is a heavy deal. I want you to be strong. I want you to be courage. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to resist fear. I want you to resist discouragement. And I want you to move forward. And what is one of the first things that Joshua faces? He faces a flooded Jordan River. It's flooding. All right? So it's out of its banks and so forth. And so Joshua takes up his courage and he begins speaking like he really knows what he's talking about. And he tells them that that the priests are going to go forward. Here's the water. There's the flooding. They keep walking. Not moving, not moving, not moving. So they carry the ark. Not moving. And all of a sudden, as soon as their feet touch the water, it parts. But if you're to stop three feet in front, nothing happens. So you have to carry on, push yourself, push your, say push yourself, to keep going. So they succeeded because of the courage of Joshua. They're believing his word. God confirmed the word. And the courage was manifested. The Jordan parts. And of course, that was just the beginning of taking lands and cities and so forth like that. But courage is something that God gives us when we act on his word. Discouragement comes from the devil to hinder us. To hold us back. We rented for over nine years with nothing. So we, we uh, rented the motel rooms and so forth and preached the gospel, did witnessing. We saw people get saved and touched by the Lord and they never came to our church. It was very discouraging. In fact, I complained to the Lord. I said, this is not right. This is not fair. They should be coming to our church. And you know what he said? He said, that's none of your business. Just keep witnessing. Don't worry about where they go. Just keep witnessing. Kind of bite my tongue. Okay, I'll keep doing that, you know. But God is faithful. Marcondas, we were in Brazil in 1989. 
And when we landed on, from that flight, we're in the fall of 1989. So at the end of October, the first part of November, I get back to my office here in Brookings, had an office downtown, and the phone rings. And we'd looked forever for land, for a building, and so forth. And another church calls and said, hey, uh, we, we heard uh, that you're looking for land, and we have this land here, and we need a new boiler, so would you want to buy our land? And I'm thinking, are you kidding is this true? You know, is this? And it was so simple. I thought it was a trap. I kept thinking, how can this be so easy? And we walked through the door, bought the land, started our building project, built the place. Let's look at another one. David. Now, we think, now these are, these are kingpins. Joshua, you know, the things he faced. David, the things David faced. So, so David, you know, in 1 Samuel 22, this is always just a very interesting thing to me. He David's called, he's anointed, he's the next king of Israel. Samuel's poured the oil over his head, all those things. But you know the story now. He's been running for his life because Saul became jealous, envious of David. And so he had thrown the javelin at him, and David's running for his life. So, so he comes to this place, David and other friends. So these are the friends. His brothers, all his father's house heard it. They went down to David there. And they were in the cave of Adullam. So in, in different times, David was in, he was a real cave dweller. And so he was in caves and running for his life and so forth. And the people that came to him were the people that were in distress, people that were in debt, people that were discontented. And David became a captain. Let's say he became a pastor for those people. Quite a church. And, and there was 400 men that came to David. So it would be like, boy, I wish... That person with money would come. No, no, nobody with money. They're in debt to their eyeballs. So they're, they're in debt. They're bitter. They're in distress. They got problems coming out their ears. And David's a captain over them. Now, how would you feel? Well, I would, I would call this a very discouraging moment, you know, to, to look out at 400 people that, you know, really weren't that great. Very discouraging time. Very discouraging time in Israel, all right? So everybody that David sees is discouraged. Everybody that he sees is discouraged. Nobody's going to help him. Out of that context was Psalm 34 written. And Psalm 34 says, David says, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What, what is the thing that attacks me, attacks me when I'm in trouble or discouraged or whatever? What attacks me from doing this? It's my pride. My pride, and of course, who's the author of pride? Who's the father of pride? Well, the devil. And so that attacks me like, well, I really don't want to open my, well, I don't want to praise the Lord. I don't feel like praising the Lord. And David says, you know, I've learned something which he learned out with the sheep and so forth, playing the anointed minister of God that he was. He says, I'm going to bless the Lord, notice at all times or in all seasons. It's easy to do it when you feel good. Boy, tonight's pretty easy. <laughs> it's just wonderful. You know, you're praising God. Oh, it's wonderful, you know. But, but let's understand this. We are people. And so we go through like this in life. And there are times, boy, the Holy Ghost goosebumps and you feel the presence of the Lord. And let's understand, we also have times you feel nothing. And you might feel like you're going through the motions. But David says, this is the time when you have habits. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need some good habits. You need some good habits, okay? 
I have forced myself to do biblical things. I have forced myself. Folks, I've had, I've had cancer. I've had bad diagnoses. I've had all kinds of things going on in my life. But I forced myself in whatever situation I'm going to praise the Lord. I force myself. I may feel nothing, but when I start, something begins to happen. And so he says, I'm going to, in all seasons, I'm just going to bless the Lord. And notice what he says. His praise is going to be in my mouth. So Jeannie can't help me on this. In fact, if she encourages me, it might be like a thorn, like, oh, stop that. You know, pretty soon you got friction in the house. You know, it's got to be you for you. Me for me. His praise shall be in my mouth. So I'm going to make a decision that what comes out of my mouth is going to be praise. I'm going to boast in the Lord and people are going to hear it. So it's in this context. David's in the cave. He's got 400 guys there. He's probably shaking his head thinking, man, Samuel anointed me. Things were going so good, man. Goliath, boy, wasn't that great. And all of a sudden I'm running for my life. Things are desperate. My family's running for their life because relatives... Things are going so good. So here I am sitting in this cave with all these guys. And he starts blessing the Lord. And as he does it, listen, we know, of course, we know here that he has us the praises of his people. But when we do that, something does happen. Something powerful, something supernatural happens. When I open my mouth and I start praising God, his presence comes. And it will come anywhere. The Lord goes to and fro, the scripture that Jeannie said. It'll come anywhere. It can come in the emergency room. (laughs) It can come out uh, wherever you live. God knows your address. God knows where you're at. And as soon as we invoke his name, when we start blessing him, he says, hey, ah." he wants to come and show himself strong to us. All right. So he's coming to minister right to you and I. And so when David's doing this, I think he actually opened his mouth, his eyes, and he looks at all these guys looking at him like he's crazy. Folks, in worship times in your church, I want to encourage you to really be free. Amen? Because if you open your eyes, you can have any church, doesn't matter what church it is, and you have people like this. You know. And they're they're nothing. There's like they're like a bump in the chair, you know. We can go to the Cadillac of meetings, and lots of times Jeannie will be up front or something like that. But on purpose, the best music, the best things everywhere, on purpose, I'll, I'll get up front and I'll look back. With, you know, maybe 1,000, 2,000 people. Look back, and the front people are worshiping, and then in the back people are like this. Well, it's going on for 20 minutes really well. Do nothing. Nothing coming out of their mouth, no worship, hands on their side, posture poor. And you can't expect that you're going to receive something big unless you participate. Courage comes when we participate. So David looks at these guys, and this you get verse 3. You've got to magnify the Lord with me. Hey, 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 you've got to do something, guys. You're stuck in a rut. You're buried in your situation. And you're going to stay there unless you make a change. You've got to magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And he tells him, hey, look, you know me. You know my situation. But I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he's delivered me from all my fears. 
So David's not cowering in the cave, you know, like some little creature. I don't know what to do. No, he's, he's exercising his faith. And when he does that, courage comes. And when courage comes, it motivates all the other men. So these men become great followers and leaders with David. Amen? See, but what you and I do helps to motivate other people. Sometimes, you know, we all are just stepping out in faith. But people are watching you and I. We're participating with the Word, with the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, something powerful happens. And it says, the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. To that point. (laughs) You know? So the second time. Say second time. So 1 Samuel 30, David is at Ziglag. Now he's still running for his life. This is years later. He's still running for his life. Saul is still the, the active king of Israel. And so David and his men had gone out to make a raid. They come back to Ziglag where their families were, spouse, children, goods, and so forth. And Ziglag had been raided. And Ziglag had been burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters, they're all taken. All right? And notice what it says, that David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. Now look at this line, you should underline this, until they had no more power to weep. That's pretty amazing. In other words, they ran out of tears. They ran out of tears. What happens when someone really is discouraged or embittered, something's happened to them, they don't like it, and what do people do a lot of times? They look for someone to blame. Is that right? Someone, there's, someone should be blamed for this. We were out there doing this other stuff, and David was leading us. You know, so now, now you've got 600 men. Don't have 400, now you've got 600 men, all right, that are following David. And they've cried, David himself. He's lost his possessions, his family, and so forth. So they're all crying, and so now, now the <laughs> stopped, and now... The eyes and the finger pointing is coming. The next verse says this. Interesting, interesting verse there. In verse uh, uh, 6, I guess it is. Verse 6, yeah, okay. So every man has sons and daughters. And it says this. uh, The people spoke of stoning David. Now let me just tell you this. You've got 600 men that are now by now, they're pretty good trained soldiers. They know how to wield a sword and so forth. And they're talking, David hears them, they're talking about stoning David. And it says, the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. So stop there. You got 600 people. What are you going to do? You got church people that don't like you. What are you going to do? And uh, let's, let's face it, they're not talking about stoning you. Hallelujah. Some countries they do that, you know, but they're not stoning you. They're not threatening you. Your life isn't threatened. They may not like you. But in any situation, we have a response. So David's all... Now, are any of these 600 guys going to encourage him? Hey, you know, they're talking. Don't listen to them. You know, that's okay. You're you're still doing okay. No, no, no. Nobody. Nobody Nobody is with David. Nobody. Nobody. They lost everything. They're bitter. They're angry. And David didn't even address them, but he does what he did before in Psalm 34. 
And it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So what did David do? I would guess, I don't know if he kneeled. I don't know how he did it, but I would guess he lifted his hands and said, I'm going to bless you, Lord, in this season. I'm going to bless you, Lord, even in this loss. Not, not your problem. I'm going to bless you, Lord. You're my answer. You're my hope. You're my defense. You're my fortress. You're my shield. And so he begins blessing the Lord. And as he blesses the Lord, I think these other guys also begin to look up and realize, yes, you're our answer. Our answer isn't to kill David. Our answer isn't to kill him. Our answer is what he's doing. Our answer is in the Lord. So we go from a a verse here where they're talking about stoning him. He's encouraging himself. You've got to read between the lines how this might take some time, right? But all these men turn around and they follow who? They follow David. Verse 8. So they come and they say, David inquires. The Lord says, pursue after this troop. I'll overtake them. And pursue, you'll show, overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Amen? Amen. So David turns around. He, verse 9 also, he, he goes out. The 600 men follow David. So it's a repeat of the first thing. These guys go from wanting to stone him. They're so angry. They're so bitter to saying, hey, he's our leader. Let's follow him. Amen. Your actions are powerful. Your actions not only bring courage to you, but your actions encourage other people by what you do, how you respond, how you look at situations. When I, when I got a cancer diagnosis, I thought, well, we're not going to hide this, you know. This, is, this was not an easy thing. So, on a Sunday service... We had told uh, our leaders and so forth, but on a Sunday service, we shared the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, standing on the Word of God. And then I said, this is what I face. What we preach is the same thing we apply to our lives. Amen. People will watch. People will look. What are you going to do? Are you going to fall apart? Are you going to blame God? Is your life going to be a mess? Or... Folks, live or die, you know, live or die. In fact, if Jesus doesn't come back, we're all going to die, right? You all understand that, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to die. That's not bad news. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. We're going to leave this life unless Christ comes sooner or later. But how we leave, leave this life is really up to us. I mean, Hebrews said they all died in faith. So they were still believing for things even when they died. Some of them were tortured. Some of them suffered greatly in different things. But they still died in faith. And that's where we're supposed to be. Because your life turns around and encourages somebody else. It's like in South India. We, and people join us Facebook Live. So we welcome leaders from other countries. And so Indian leaders, African leaders. When you see this, we welcome you. You people know us. <laughs> But in South India, you know, a pastor preaching the word of God, threatened by the Hindus and so forth to not do what he's doing. You quit preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop those things. And they killed him. They killed him. They beat him to death and then they hung him in the church. And so what did the church people do? Well, of course, the police will do nothing. You can report it to the police. They're going to do nothing. They're going to protect the Hindus. But they cut down his body. They buried the man. And the next person stood up the next week. Preaching the gospel. It doesn't diminish the church. The church just by the fact of courage says, hey, we're going forward. 
pretty amazing. You see somebody die for their faith. It's not like, it's like, oh no. It's like, oh wow. Powerful. It's powerful. We've seen, hey, the minister's, we was in a minister's conference in India. And before I spoke, there was a man, he was talking, he was sharing. I said, what was, what was he talking about? Well, he's talking to all the pastors. A big, it was 200-some leaders. They're all dressed in white and so forth. And this is their minister's conference. You know, America's kind of, everything's nice. And so this is their minister's conference. He's up, and he's telling them, like, when you die, we'll buy your casket. We'll help your wife. That's their minister's conference. In other words, these people knew they faced death. They had death threats on them all the time. So they're up, and, and I said, he's doing what? He says, he's telling them that if they die and so forth, by the casket, they'll help with the funeral. They'll do all those things. I thought, okay. When we left, a couple that we know, they're on their little motorbike, scooter, and so forth, and they're smiling and stuff. And I said, praise the Lord, you know, I'm in... I'm in a car and window down and I greeted him. I said, and they said, you know, thank you for the word and so forth. And I said, so you have a church here? No, no, our church is off in the village. We have to drive like 20 kilometers to get there. I said, okay. And I said, uh, you don't have a building there. He said, oh, no, no. They said they'll kill us. So we just drive in on a Sunday, gather in one house this week, preach the gospel and then leave again. And the next week they'll drive in and gather in another house and then leave again. And I said, oh, and she's smiling. She's just the joy of the Lord. And I thought, oh, you know, this is, folks, think about encouraging yourself. We want to think our problems are so big and tough, but they're not if you think about what's going on in the world. (laughs) Amen. We're like in God's training room right now. And if these things really gas us out, we got a problem. All right. Because he wants us to take courage. He wants us to move forward in spite of the circumstances and to do what he's asked us to do. Amen? Okay, let's look at another one quick. Let's look at, uh, yeah, let's look at Elijah. All right. What's that? Dilla, bless you in India. In Jesus' name. Bless your wife, newborn child coming. Bless you guys in Jesus' name and the church there. In India, hallelujah. Hey, incidentally, you can pray. You can use Facebook. People think, uh, you know, in this last year, so we've done different things. And it's just magnified, the gospel going out. So people now in other places that maybe could never come to a service because of cultural things, now they're picking up the phone and watching us. Oh, yeah. And listening. You know, people that have, through Jeannie, friends, other religions I'm talking about. And now watching us and God's touching their hearts. You know, it's pretty, it's just, it's wonderful. In fact, over Zoom, we had that one Zoom with your church, Della. You know, it's going to be a little call. Took us two hours. Poor internet. You can't see everything. Freezes and stuff. But at the end of the thing, just thinking, well, this, I just thought, well, we'll pray anyway. Some people with needs and stuff. And so we prayed. And then Della brings him up to the phone. Pastor, here's the, here's the woman you prayed for with the eyes, with the severe eye problem and so forth. And she's standing there and God healed her. And I'm thinking, hallelujah, you know. See, it's Saturday night there. It's early Saturday, just the opposite, day and night opposite. And then he said, Pastor, here's the man who's st- severe stomach pain and so forth. And he's healed. He has no more pain. I'm thinking, wow. Say wow. You know, I think, I think. Like we have a thing, I stand amazed. You don't want to get 
Let's have an expectation. When you have a service, your next service, have an expectation. Lord, I just want to believe for you to move, for you to touch somebody. Look for someone to pray for. Or just ask someone, what can I pray for? Amen. You can ask a waitress at the restaurant, what can I pray for? Amen. So, so Elijah, write down Elijah. Here's Elijah. Here's the guy. Here's the guy that, remember the story, the widow, the, he goes to the widow woman and he says, make me a cake first. And she says, I don't even have enough for me and my son. We're going to make a cake. We're going to die. He said, make me one first. And the cruise of oil and the basket of oil never failed for a long time. Some people say it was a year. Right. So this guy had seen miracles. He was the guy that when he prophesied the drought and everything dried up and so forth, but he's out there, he's out there by a brook at the time, but the ravens came and fed him. Ravens came and fed him. Incidentally, what did they feed him? Quick rabbit trail here. What did they feed him? Well, they didn't feed him raven food. They didn't feed him roadkill. They brought him bread. They brought him bread and meat, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says in Israel in those days, no man, no man gave to him. And that's why Jesus said in the days of Elijah, no, no one gave to Elijah. So the ravens fed him. So what did the ravens do? Was there a lack of food? No, there was a lack of obedience. So the ravens are going, oh, here's a pie. Here's a grabbing food, grabbing bread and bringing it over to Elijah where he's at and feeding him for many days. I'm sure people are thinking, this is like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Where? Well, these birds, these birds are taking our food. Where are they going? So these ravens are bringing food to Elijah every day. Bread and meat, food, cooked food, people food. They're taking care of him. And the reason they did that, it wasn't a shortage of food. There was just nobody obedient to take care of the man of God. You read it, read it in the book, but also read it in the New Testament. So God, God has a way to find out where you're at. Amen. But here's Elijah then. He's on Mount Carmel and challenges the prophets of Baal. Interesting enough, they thought they were right. So he said, let's, let's have, I'll give you a chance. Let's, let's, uh, let's see the God who answers by fire. And they took him up on it. You bet. We think we're right. Folks. A lot of people in the world think they're right. You, you have to step into that situation sometimes to let the Lord demonstrate himself. Because they were out there, they were dancing and praying, and it didn't happen. Pretty soon they're cutting themselves and so forth. And finally he said, noontime, whatever. You about done? You guys about done? You give up? Let me do it. And you know the story, of course. Water, fire comes down, burns it up, and they kill all the prophets of Baal. Pretty big event, right? So, so a lady says, Jezebel says, I'm going, to kill, I'm going to make you like one of them. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make you just like one of those prophets of Baal that you killed. So, so he's coming from this monumental victory, and he's running for his life. So 1 Kings, 1 Kings 19, verse 4, he goes a day's journey, it says. He sits down under a broom tree. He prays that he might die. Now, now talk about an extreme... He goes from this mountaintop to a place of really wanting to die. Let's, let's say discouragement, right? He went from courage to be discouraged. Because of what somebody said, words, words are powerful. I understand that. But somebody made a threat against him 
And he went from being very encouraged to extremely discouraged, complete opposite ends. And he's wished that he might die. And he says, it's enough. Just take my life. I'm not better than my father's. They all died. Just take my life, right? So he comes to a place. Remember, remember he goes to the cave and he sees the, the wind and the earthquake and the fire and then a still small voice, right? Still small voice comes. The still, still small voice is saying what? He said in 19 verse 13, he says, what are you doing here? Now, let me just say, God never shouts at you. And he never berates you. He never puts you down. He never calls you loser. He never says you're a failure. Doesn't do that. Here's Elijah. Now, God, remember, this is the guy that went into heaven without dying. All right. Very low point in his life. See, we all have to deal with this. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to deal with this. This is all, this is, this happens all the time. All right. So now, now here's the still small voice. And, and he says, what are you doing here? He requested to die. All right. And, and, uh, uh, he says, I'm verse 14. He says, you know, uh, the voice came. What are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I've been zealous. I've done all these things. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets, and I'm the only one left. Kind of, it's a real martyr complex, right? It's like I'm, I'm the only one really doing the work of the Lord. So when we get discouraged, we lose confidence. We lose enthusiasm, you know. We lose, we, we can be intimidated by what we face. We allow the negative feelings to hinder us. Well, I feel, I don't feel Lord. I just feel down. I feel. And the pathway, the pathway forward is that you have to do something. Amen. Have you ever encouraged somebody who's down and they're kind of like, thanks, thanks a lot, you know, and you, and you really tried to encourage them. I've done that a lot of times, probably hundreds of times. Nothing will happen until they decide to do something. Nothing will happen until I decide to do something, until I deal with me. Amen. I deal with where I'm at. Not talking about circumstances, just talking about me, this person, this flesh, this body. So he's saying, I'm, I'm the only one here. I'm, I'm the only one left and so forth. And God will always reassure us. So the, word, so the word of God reassures us. The Holy Spirit inspires us. Right now, so things can come to your mind. You read it. should always be in your Bible. Amen. Amen. Be in the Bible all the time. Not to get a message. Just to fellowship with the Lord. So now you're in, your, in the Bible. The word will reassure us. The word will inspire us. And then we have to do something. We have to do something with what we have. So in the privacy of your home or office or car or whatever, with your mouth, as you step forth, he will give you courage. All these people in the Bible, all these heavy hitters in the Bible, all faced grave discouragement, but all came out of it again with encouragement. And so in verse, verse Kings 19, verse 18, the Lord says, hey, 
I've got 7,000. And God wasn't beating him over the head. He's, uh, he's, just telling, he's just telling Elijah the truth. You're not the only one. There's 7,000. There's 7,000 other people. Here's some quotes. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. No courage, it's all going to shrink. Nothing's going to happen. And we can sit and people can say, well, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. Yeah, well, you need to pray in faith. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You, start, you need to proclaim who God is. Amen. Just proclaim it. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of fear. It's resisting fear. It's conquering fear. That's what courage is. Courage isn't having the strength to go on. It's, it's going on when you don't have the strength. I mean, I've had days just thinking, boy, I don't know. Some days are like that. You know, going through treatments, going through situations. Doctors saying, how are you doing today, Dave? And they ask you specifically, are you depressed? Are you discouraged? Remember the one doctor, you know, and we just kept staying in the word and so forth. And I said, oh, I said, you think you're wondering if I want to give up? She said, yeah, this doctor said, no, I'm not giving up. I want to praise the Lord. <laughs> just, and then started having a praise time in the office. I was in radiation oncology. They let you listen to music and so forth. And I'm under this machine for 35 treatments, 35 trips every day to Sioux Falls for 15 minutes. And so I'm staying there, laying there with no clothes on. And, and uh, they're playing this music. And then they, they say, Dave, Dave, you're, you're moving. You can't move at all if he's totally still. And, and what I was doing, they had praise music on. And my foot was going. Th- 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 and they said, you can't do that. And I said, okay, okay. You know, so you got to sit still. You can make the most out of it, of any situation. Folks, even if we die, it's a win-win deal. It's a win-win deal. I know someday I'm going to leave this life. It's a win-win deal. Paul said, I desire actually to depart. But for your sake, I'm going to hang around for a while. But it's a win-win deal. How you look at things, how we face it and so forth. Courage is grace under pressure. Just because you fail once doesn't mean you're going to fail every time. What would life be if we had no courage to attempt anything? You know, there's a lot of people that die with the dreams in them. Or there was this thing we had, they die with the music in them. They thought, oh, I wanted to do this. And oh, I wanted to try that. I wanted to go there. But fear or something held them back. And rather than pushing through the fear, they never did it. There's a lot of people who don't even want to get in an airplane. I know very successful people, people, millionaire people in this town who've told me face to face, I'm not going to fly over the ocean. What if that plane goes down? I'm in their office in the bank. And they said, like, what if the plane goes down? I said, never thought about that. I don't think about those things. You know what I mean? Hello. You're not sitting there. I hope the plane doesn't go down. I hope the plane doesn't go down. If it goes down, it goes down. Right? It's like when we were in Guatemala. And so we had this little plane. <laughs> we had this little plane, four people. And, and uh, so Jeannie and I, we had some luggage. And so we were flying into the mountains on a grass runway. And then the guy, the pilot, sets out a scale. And, he, and we had to weigh all the luggage. But then he wanted to weigh us. And he told Jeannie, we have to get on the scale. She said, what? 
She said, you have to get on the scale. And she said, and I looked at her and I said, okay, I'll turn around. So she got, she got on the scale. She weighed herself. Then I weighed myself. Then we got in, made sure we had the right amount of food or fuel. And, and so we take this trip and the plane is bouncing along. You know, Guatemala has high, you know, Rich knows all this, the mountains in Central America. But, but, you know, we're bouncing along and so forth. And I mean, you know, every time you drop, what do your hands do? They go, go up like that, don't they? So I hooked my hands in my belt so they wouldn't just fly up so I could just kind of enjoy the ride like that, you know? It's a challenge. It was a challenge, you know? I mean, we saw a little place down there. We thought, you know, I think we're going to go to that lake, Panachal. And he said, oh, you're going to go over there? And I said, yeah. And he said, he turned the plane like sideways. And my face is against the glass like this. So I'm just waving like this for him to turn the plane back around. And, you know, folks, the fear of death. What's that? Yeah, so we had to fly over the runway, get the animals off. So the, the, the fear of death holds us all back. Right? And the only thing you can do in life for anything, even pioneering a church, you have to just step out. I told people, even when we pioneered the church, I said, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I'll find out. But I'm so glad we did it. I'm so glad, you know, that give us some time. But I'm so glad we did it to see, no, this is good. Amen. We're all just trying to do our best, right? So we're just trying to hear the voice. So I said, I'm just going to go for it. And believe God. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, go for it. Turn to your neighbor and say, stretch your faith. Stretch your faith to do something bigger than you thought. Amen. I like this as the John Wayne one. So this is what I told Greg. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. John Wayne. Joyce Meyer, we need a backbone, not a wishbone. I wish. I wish. No, you need a backbone. Just start doing something. Never interrupt someone doing something you said couldn't be done. Yeah, they're doing something. To live a creative life, we must lose our fear of being wrong. Sometimes we're so afraid of missing it that we don't do anything. Okay, a couple more quick things. Here's a natural one, Peter. So Luke 5, Luke 5 verse 4 and 5. Peter, Jesus comes to Peter and... and uh, Jesus had been speaking, and so then he says, Simon, I want you to launch out in the deep. I want you to, for a catch of fish. And Simon is just very honest. You know, they're mending their nets while Jesus is talking. He says, Master, we've toiled all night. Now, he knows what he's talking about. He's a fisherman. And I can kind of hear his voice. You know, we've toiled all night. And then the thought in his mind, like, you don't know anything about fishing. You don't know anything about fishing. We didn't catch anything at night, and now it's daytime. We're certainly not going to throw our net in the daytime and the fish go down. Not going to happen. And Jesus said, no, I want you to uh, launch out into the deep, not the shallows. I want you to let down, notice nets, plural, say plural, nets. Okay, so Peter responds, and he says, yeah, okay. Kind of, I'm sure Peter probably looked at John like, let's humor him. Let's take a net. Jesus said nets. He's going to take a net, one net. Let's not, let's not dirty up this whole mess again that we just cleaned. Let's humor him. Let's throw the net in the boat. Let's go out in the deep. Okay, and they throw it out. And they encompass so many fish that the net begins to break because they didn't have two or three. 
Now, first of all, I, I think a lot of God just, he knows us, right? So, so he might ask you to do something and you just think, well, I really don't want to, I don't think it's going to work, but okay, let's do it. You know, there's been times Jeannie will get a word or something, I think, okay, you know, I have no faith. She said, honey, I think we should do this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'll stand with you. And then something big happens, and it's like, wow. Was I, was I ever wrong? <laughs> so, so Peter does this. Of course, they close all these fists. Jesus, though, never criticizes his faith. I, I, think, I, I kind of think Jesus liked it. It's good. And it's probably like, best you wish you had two or three nets now, don't you? <laughs> So, so Luke, Luke 22 now, here's the same chapter in Luke. Uh, no, same, not the same chapter, but later on. So Jesus comes to Peter, and, and of course Peter had said, Jesus told him, I'm going to go to the Calvary, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins, I'm going to be raised again. Told him the whole story, none of them believed it, but told him the whole story. And Peter said, I, others may deny you, I'll never deny you. And then Jesus says this, Simon he says, Satan has desire has asked for you that he would sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That's a very interesting verse. So, so what do you do when you sift wheat? You take, take wheat, and, but wheat has a, a shell around it, chaff. And so you, you beat the wheat or shift, uh, uh, shake it to separate the chaff from the grain. Because the grain is what is important, right? So, so Jesus is telling Peter that the devil wants to sift you like wheat. Interesting enough, Jesus never addressed the devil. Whose responsibility is it when we're discouraged? It's mine and yours, right? So Peter made a bold statement, I'll never deny you. Of course, he did. We know that. But still, Jesus, Jesus says, I prayed for your faith that it wouldn't fail. Now, was Peter going to be discouraged? Greatly. So when we're discouraged, though, we want to return back to Jesus. Okay. When we're very disappointed, we want to come back to the source of our life. Right? So Luke 22, same chapter. So when G Peter denied Jesus, all right, said, I, I don't know you. I think it's verse 60 there, Luke 22. It says, I don't know what you're saying. And then that was the last time, the rooster crowed. And they're close enough in proximity that Jesus could look across the, the courtyard or whatever and looked at Peter. Jesus looked at Peter. I call it the gaze of love. It wasn't a gaze of condemnation. It wasn't a gaze of, I told you so. It wasn't a gaze of, you blew it. it. wasn't that. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said before the cock would crow, you would deny me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly, sifting. In spiritual sifting, the devil is trying to separate us from our faith. He'll shake us as hard as he can to separate us from what we believe. Separate us from, from our, our confidence in God. Discouragement separates you from courage. So discourage, it separates you from courage. So God wants us to turn that around. Peter had to come to a place, turn around, turn around, and come again to his own faith with the Lord. And remember when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to women first. And he said, go tell Peter. 
Go tell Peter. You address that specifically to encourage him. And Peter had to respond. And, of course, we know that Peter did respond. He, he uh, found great courage, got baptized in the Holy Ghost, stood in front of thousands of people and preached the gospel. Jesus is praying for us. He's at the right hand of the Father, makes intercession for us. He's praying for us. He wants, us to, he wants to encourage us. To don't lose heart. Don't lose your faith. Keep trusting in me. Paul in the New Testament. Let's look at a couple more things. Acts 27. Here's Paul. Acts 27, verse 20. And you know the shipwrecked. Think about this now. After many days and all the things, look at this statement. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Everybody. Everybody gave up hope. Hundreds of people on that ship. We gave up all hope. There was no hope. Now, even the Bible says, even when we're not faithful, God always abides faithful. He's always faithful. He's always with us. He's always on our side. And I've had times where I've just thought, oh, forget it. No, no. And then I, you know, get away, have my own pity party and so forth. And then the Lord will talk to us again. You open the Bible and he'll start talking to us and so forth. Acts 27, verse 22 through 25, the angel of the Lord comes to Paul. And, he's, and he stands by and he says, keep up your courage. All right? Keep up your courage. Don't, don't let down your courage. All right? And, he's, and Paul begins to address the people. Don't be afraid. You must stand. God tells him, don't be afraid. You'll stand before Caesar. And then Paul says to the people, keep up your courage. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So what is Paul doing now? He's speaking boldly out of courage. That's something. He just went from no hope to hopeful and he's addressing everybody on this ship that God is bigger than our circumstances. He's bigger. He addressed his situation. Proverbs 10, verse 21, the words of the godly encourage many, including yourself. Your words encourage yourself. Amen? Acts 14, verse 22, says, remain, encourage people to remain true to the faith. It also says we must pass through many troubles. Well, there's difficulties in this world, folks. And, and America is in a bubble. Uh, a lot of Christians feel challenged in this time of COVID, but let me tell you, you're in a bubble. It's very easy, much easier in America than it is any other place on this planet. We have many people facing dire circumstances. You should talk to some of the missionaries, just things that they face. So, so he strengthened the believers, encouraged them to remain true to the faith. Encourage them. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in tongues. Pray in the Spirit. Prophesy the Word of God. That just means you're proclaiming the Word of God. You're proclaiming truth. You can preach yourself happy. We're going to pass through troubles. That's, that's, that's already there. All right? The Bible actually says all who live godly shall suffer persecution. That's already there. Amen? So 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, don't lose heart. Resist discouragement. The inward man is renewed day by day. As pastors and leaders, day by day, you have to renew your heart. Amen? So, so, so uh, uh, urge you, my beloved son. Uh, that's, I didn't give the right verse to him. So anyways, it says, do not lose heart. Resist discouragement. Even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is renewed day by day. 
day by day. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Be courageous. Be strong in the Lord. The greater one lives in you and I. There's nothing impossible for any of us. He's not a respecter of persons. It's not like he respects somebody else. Oh, they've got a big ministry. Oh, they've got money. Oh, they've got answers. No, no, he's not a respecter of persons. Don't compare yourself with other people. Don't line yourself up with other people and compare yourself how you look compared to them. Because it's always a losing situation. Fix your eyes. Fix them on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And folks, all of us have a path to walk. And it's all, we live in different places and so forth. All God asks is, you just fulfill what I've asked you to do. And you might think sometimes, say, well, I don't see all the results. But let me tell you, if you're pr- proclaiming the word of God, doing the word of God, he'll take care of the fruit. In Jesus Christ, obedience is just huge. You know, if we obey God, he's going to bring the fruit. Some of it you may not see till heaven. May not see it to heaven. May not see it in this life. But I know that God is faithful. I know that no matter where you're at, what town, what village, he's faithful. It can be in other countries. We tell people all the time, it's not an American gospel. The Bible is not an American book. It wasn't written by white people. The Bible is a Middle East book. It's a book of culture. Don't make it, don't make it American. Don't make it, you know, for your situation. Is that right? So as we do those things, we begin to stretch ourselves and we stretch other people, you know, to, to open up to what God wants to do for us. I think he's got big plans. You have a church, you have a vision or you have a ministry and he wants to bless you. Pastor Jeannie just ministered on the Jay Prayer Jabez, bless me indeed. The man whose name meant pain. (laughs) The man who was cursed with his own name. But God turned it all around and enlarged his borders and blessed him and answered his prayers. And did powerful things. God is on your side. Tell tell your neighbor that God's on your side. Tell your neighbor, God hears your prayers. He hears your prayers. It's, it's, this is like, it's like when you pray, he hears you. He hears you. It's not how loud you shout. It's not how long you talk. In fact, most of my talking is very short and most of the time I'm listening. He already knows what I, what I, everything about me. He doesn't need to hear my words. I need to hear his voice. So when I go into the prayer room, I'm listening for the Lord. Amen. I start with some praise. I praise him, but then I'm listening for his voice to my heart. Amen? That's a whole lot more better to listen to, right? Gave us two ears, one mouth. Listen twice as much as you talk. God's for you. He's on your side. You're not here by an accident. It's a divine appointment. It's a setup. Some of you heard Pastor Kevin talk yesterday about hope and so forth. Yesterday morning, some of you heard Jeff Mann last night talking about heaven. Hallelujah. Excited about that. But your life is important. Your ministry is important. You want to hang on to Jesus. You want to push forward with everything you've got. Amen? And remember, it's not a sprint. I mean, we would have loved things happen fast, but actually nothing ever happened fast in the ministry. Everything has been like slow motion, you know. 
But it's all been good. It's been good. You know, it's been a process. But layer upon layer after layer has happened. And many people are in all around the world that have passed through here. We're ascending church. Just close your eyes a minute. Don't quit. Don't give up. Receive the encouragement that God gives you by the Holy Spirit. You are stronger than what you think. You're more anointed than what you feel. It's not your word, but his word. And I believe in the name of Jesus, when you speak, even after this service here, if, even when you go back to your ministries, when you speak, the power of God's going to be manifested. I believe he's going to use your word or his word in your mouth to do great things. I want to encourage you to stretch your limits, not set your limits. I want to encourage you to face the border bullies, face them down, and to say, maybe I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it now. I want to encourage you to pray for people. Not shout, just pray. Take their hand, but speak in the name of Jesus. Let his power come forth. Let him do the work. Father, I thank you for anointing these men and women right here. Anointing them with great news. For this world that the world needs to hear. Needs to hear about you, Jesus. So I thank you for anointing them with the good news. That they are men and women of great courage, great faith. For your glory and honor. Father, thank you for this. Sometimes things go on long and long time. I sat just last fall. I had another... I've had skin cancer now several times and they had to cut off part of part of this ear thing and so forth. And I went to bed, didn't have a house yet at the time. I'm bleeding from my head. And you'll remember this, Jeannie. I sat in the edge of the bed and I just started crying. Just like another thing, you know. And then I just composed myself. I just thought, you know, she was bandaging my ear. But I composed myself that, no, we're going to go on. We're going to go on. As long as we have life and breath, we're going to go on. We're going to keep doing what God asks us to do. And in that, in that bedroom, just the atmosphere changed again. Went from, went from very sad <laughs> to encouraged. He wants to encourage you. Don't think, oh, this is going to last forever. No, he wants to encourage you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So you always want to bring your faith to today. Not to tomorrow. Moses asked Pharaoh, when should I have the frogs leave? He said, tomorrow. Why would you want one more night with the frogs? Why wouldn't you just say, tonight? But no, he said, I'll have one more night with the frogs. Have them go tomorrow. No, put it, put it in the present. I'm going to believe you today, Lord. Today for answers. I believe he's going to provide financially. I believe he's going to take care of your needs financially. I believe you're going to be a good steward to those finances of whatever comes in, but you're going to be a good steward to use them wisely. He wants to provide. It's not just let, oh, he provides for something. No, he wants to provide for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Gave his life for you. <laughs> wow. For you. You're that valuable. You're that valuable. And his kingdom in his service.
Lord, I just thank you for meeting needs here tonight. We have time for fellowship in a little bit here. That's the nice thing about meetings here. We don't have to go anywhere. We're all staying here. But Lord, I thank you for meeting needs. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylife@brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., also Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.